coming up on today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. New York City is one of the most competitive restaurant scenes on, on the planet, right? So to go from a place like that to coming here where everyone just kind of supports each other and has each other's back, I think it's really, really special. And I picked up on that the times that I was visiting here. And I'd said, you know, I, I want to be a part of that. That could be a place where I could do something. You said you were teaching advanced table service. What are some of the things that that involves? Well, I think a lot of it will come down to body language and, mm. you know, kind of your overall technical acumen. There's a lot of a lot of things that as a consumer, you'll you'll feel you don't really know that it's happening, if that makes sense. And, you know, in mm-hmm. the in the restaurant world, we'll call these things subliminal detractors where, you know, where you'll have consumers that, that will leave a restaurant or it could be any business for that matter. And, you know, true to human nature, your friends are going to ask you how it was. And have you ever gone to a place and you leave there and people are like, you know, what'd you think? You're like, I didn't like it, but I don't really know why. You know, the last thing that we wanted to do, kind of going back to what Kevin led in with was, you know, we didn't want to be these new owner operators that came in and changed everything and was like, we're from New York and we know better than everybody. And, and it's certainly not that at, at all. It's like a little closet. If that, I mean, if that, you know, and so one of my things is, is more than anything, I would really like to get chef and his team, a, a you know, a proper kitchen to see what we can execute from there. I mean, I think yeah. this guy's the limit. He's definitely demonstrated his ability to figure it out. You know, that's another thing that really gets hammered into your head at culinary school is chefs figure it out. Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi, I'm Kevin Godby. And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Just hit the subscribe button and you'll get notified when an episode is ready for download. And then you can listen to them anytime you want, like on your morning jog or commute to work. On today's show, our featured guest is Jacob Lindsay. Jacob is a longtime restaurateur and the new owner of Anada and Altamari Fish Bar. After Jacob, we stroll over to Greenstock, our favorite salad place for lunch. We, we have, have a great, great show, show, so stick, stick around. around. St. Pete is all about local, and this year we celebrate a local legend's 25th anniversary. Roland Oates Market and Cafe was founded in July of 94 by Bert Swain and Larry Schwartz. From the beginning, Roland Oates has made a commitment to provide St. Pete customers with the finest quality organic whole foods, nutritional supplements, and body care products at the most reasonable prices possible. And now they have a South Tampa location too. We go there for many items, but they are the only place that we go to buy our raw probiotics and other supplements. They have the best organic whole food selection in town, and on the flip side of that, they also offer a fantastic selection of wines and an unparalleled selection of local craft beer. Rollin' Oats has a cafe, Open Daily, which offers delicious sandwiches, burgers, soups, salads, bowls, wraps, entrees, and fresh-made smoothies along with a variety of prepared and packaged take-home meals located in the market itself. Do you pride yourself with supporting local businesses? Well, put your money where your mouth is and get on into Rollin' Oats today. Rollin' Oats St. Pete is located at 2842 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Street North, and in South Tampa, you'll find them at 1021 North McDill Avenue. Check them out on the web at rollinoats.com. That's R-O-L-L-I-N oats.com. And Rolla Notes offers online ordering with curbside pickup. Hey, Lori, have you ever been to Noble Crust? I have. What do you like there? Pork belly pimento cheese and fried green tomatoes are my favorite. 
Oh yeah, I love that one too. They actually call it the FGBLT. It's fried green tomatoes, pork belly glazed with a Tabasco honey sauce and pimento cheese. Mm-hmm. And it's the first item on the menu, so you can't miss it. And I think they should actually call it the OMG. Yeah, you've said that before. The chicken marsala is really good too. It has chicken and chicken sausage, criminy mushrooms and four cheese grits. It's so delicious. I love that they mix classics from the American Deep South and Italy. Noble Crust is famous for their fried chicken. I love it. Yeah, and the eggplant parmesan is out of this world. When we do a best eggplant parm list, it'll definitely be on there. Yes, it will. Speaking of lists, Noble Crust made six of them recently. Best Italian, Best Casual Dining, Best Pizza, Best Bloody Marys, Best Meatballs, and, believe it or not, Best Salads. Ooh, ooh, can I tell you another one of my favorite items? Yeah. The spaghetti and meatballs. It's so good. Man, you're not kidding. You know what? They have a brunch on Saturdays and Sundays starting at 1030, which I love. And the deviled eggs are to die for. Let's go to Noble Crust right now. I'm in. Let's do it. Please welcome the new co-owner of Anata Restaurant and Wine Bar and Altamari Fish Bar, Jacob Lindsay. Welcome, Jacob. Hi, guys. Good morning. How are you? Doing good. Doing great. And, you know, a lot of times when uh, well-known favorite restaurants take on new ownership, some people, their reaction is not always good. Sometimes they're like, oh, no, the new owners are going to screw it all up. <laughs> right. We have an article published where, you know, you and I talked on the phone uh, extensively a few weeks back, and there is an article on stpetersburgfoodies.com where you can get some information, but on this show, people are going to get a lot more information than was in that article. And and I can say right up front, nobody should be concerned at all. We should actually be excited, and you're going to find out why as we continue. We're going to get some of your background in a moment, Jacob, but I want to do a brief, brief introduction of the restaurant's. Uh, and then your background, and then we'll come full circle back to the eateries. So both places were formerly owned by Kurt and Mary Cucaro, and they still own Mazzaro's Italian Market, which is a St. Pete icon. I believe it's Cucaro, honey. Cucaro? Okay. I, I do, do you know Jacob? I actually don't. I was just making a mental note of what Kevin said. <laughs> <laughs> Never listen to me for... for, for um, no, but I believe it's Cucaro, because Cucaro is how I was always saying it before, and then we got correct. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. So Anata, uh, when it first opened in 2014, was best known as a great place for wine, cheese, and charcuterie, and it still is. And every time we do a top 10 best cheese and charcuterie, you guys are always on a list. But over the last few years with Joshua Breen as the executive chef, it's come to be known as a great Italian restaurant. And Altamari Fish Bar opened in 2019. Altamari means deep sea in Italian. And Chef Breen is also at the helm here, and both places are adjacent to each other. And do, Jacob, do they connect in the back? They actually don't. Uh, the only way to access one from the other is through the front. Ah, okay. Ah. Yeah. Maybe you'll be able to get that changed at some point. I would like to at some point, yeah. Yeah. And so Altamari features local, national, and international seafood that's flown in fresh every day. And it has more of a European flair. So, you know, it's, it's seafood and there is local seafood, but a lot of local seafood places are very like tropical Florida feel to them. This one is more European, as I said, and which is nice because there's not a lot of that downtown. And for, for those of you that don't know Chef Joshua Breen, we totally rank him as one of the top three chefs for sure yeah. here in St. Petersburg. He's absolutely incredible. And I, we definitely need some uh, Chef Breen cooking in our life soon. Yes, we do. So Jacob, let's learn a little bit more about you. Yeah, so I moved here uh, kind of vicariously through New York City by way of Dallas. I, uh, I was the vice president of a restaurant group based out of New York City. As you know, New York City was kind of the epicenter of the epicenter uh, of yeah. the pandemic. And come, I think it was around the second week of March, mm-hmm. um, you know, the city started shutting down really quickly. March 16th, Governor Cuomo had shut down uh, all restaurants and bars there in Manhattan. And I stayed on with the company until about um, July or August. You can imagine what kind of a, a you know tumultuous experience that was being up there. Um, wow! You know, during the kind of ground zero of of all of this, and you know, leading up to um, my time in Manhattan, I, you know, the last couple of moves I had thought about doing my own restaurant group, 
a couple of times. Before I was in New York City, I was actually out in the Middle East in Doha, Qatar. I was the director of food and beverage at the Marriott Marquis Hotel there. Wow. And had 12 restaurants uh, in two buildings and, you know, a large kind of offsite catering uh, operation as well. That, that's hard to fathom, actually. For yeah, me. it you is. Know, 12 <laughs> restaurants and catering. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a big, complicated operation. Um, I, I feel like the bigger and more complicated the operation is, the, the more I enjoy it. There's always something going on to keep you <laughs> excited and impulsed. But yeah, I had a lovely time out there. And even before moving out there, I was thinking about doing my own thing and had really kicked this around for a while. Um, I graduated from the Conair Institute of America uh, back in February of nine. And, and I think one of the things that they do a good job there is kind of making you scared of doing your own thing because, you know, the uh, failure rate in, in restaurants is extremely high for right. for a multitude of reasons. Right. But, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, this was one of those moments where um, I left New York City. My family owns a lake house just outside of Dallas. And I was just kind of hanging out by the lake and kind of licking my wounds and and collecting my thoughts about what's next. And um, in October of 19, I had actually looked at a, at a piece of property down here for the company that I was working with at a potential opportunity for a restaurant. And then the March March of 19, I had actually moved a good friend of mine here and had always thought that St. Pete had just like this, it had like the zhuzh, if that makes sense. Like it just yeah, kind of had yeah. this, this yep. it factor. And I was like, man, I want to be a part of that. Like the food and beverage scene, what I think is really, really special and unique about um, St. Petersburg and specifically to, to kind of that little area on Beach Drive is there's like this really cool camaraderie among the operators mm-hmm. and among the chefs. And you honestly, I've, I've done this on multiple continents and many, many places throughout the U.S. You don't really always see that, you know, no, you a don't. lot of times it can be this very dog eat dog, very competitive you know, I mean, look, New York City is one of the most competitive restaurant scenes on, on the planet, right? right? So to go from a place like that to coming here where everyone just kind of supports each other and has each other's back, I think it's really, really special. And I picked up on that the times that I was visiting here. And I'd said, you know, I, I want to be a part of that. That could be a place where I could do something. And, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that the universe has a way of kind of pushing you where you're supposed to be mm-hmm. or or where it wants you to be. And, you know, after after everything kind of went the way it did in New York City. Um, you know, after feeling sorry for myself for a couple of days in, at the lake, I was like, you know, I think now's the time. You know, the conditions are ideal, right? And especially mm-hmm. with Governor DeSantis taking a strong position on not closing things down and and really kind of supporting, you know, small businesses and restaurants and bars through that, through that avenue, I thought it was a good time to come down here. So here we are. Yep. All signs point it that way. Yeah. So Jacob, uh, the camaraderie that you were talking about definitely is true. And I'm just curious because I found out, see, I learned about that initially uh, from being on Facebook, but you're not a big Facebook person. So how did you figure that part out? Well, I'm not a big social media person, period, um, for, for a handful of reasons, but we could probably do a whole other podcast on yeah. that. Um, you know, it's just it's just a feeling you get when you pop into other restaurants. It's a feeling you get when you speak to other general managers and you speak to other owners mm. and you speak to other other chefs. Everybody speaks so highly of one another. And I don't Absolutely. know if that's just, you know, that we just got extremely lucky with Anata and, and Altamare. Um, and the, you know, the, the story that, that Kurt and Mary were able to begin and the, you know, kind of the parts of that, that Joshua has been able to add to. And I don't know if we just got lucky with that and people have just been supportive of us, but it really feels deeper than that. Um, even Chef Joshua, I mean, and, and like, you know, we spoke about this earlier. He's an incredibly talented chef, yes. mm-hmm. you know, but sometimes you get these 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 culinarians that, you know, they don't really like to acknowledge that anyone else is talented. And that right, certainly, right. you know, they, they're like, no, I'm the only talented chef. And look, I was a chef. I get it. We're all kind of type A and we, we think a certain <laughs> way. But, you know, it's just, you know, it started with my first conversation with Joshua, his two sous chefs, Sean and Tim, and then meeting uh, a handful of other chefs around the market. And it's just such this cool, like, like brotherly love type deal that's just really, really special. And again, like I said, I have not seen it anywhere else in, in the world that I've worked where, where everyone has been so supportive of one another. Yeah, that is so cool. Yeah, and and I've always been super hyper competitive myself. And when I, uh, this goes back of several years, but so there's a Grazie Italian Grill, which mm-hmm. I live like a, across the street from basically. Uh, the chef and co-owner, Tony Mangiofico, I'm friends with him on Facebook. Well, and, you're friend friends with him too. 
Yes, I am. <laughs> and I've actually gone over and hung out in the uh, office over there and talked food with him and ended up getting some Italian olive oil and other goodies given to me. But um, anyway, the, years ago, the first time I see Tony, the co-owner and chef of Grazi Italian Grill, posting on Facebook with photos and everything and checking in that he's having dinner with his kids at Bavaro's, which is an, an Italian restaurant in sure. downtown St. Pete. And I'm thinking, dude, that's your competitor. Why are you promoting them? But nobody thinks that way here. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's yeah. very different. And, You're right. And and we went uh, last Friday, we went to uh, Wild Child in the Grand Central District, which which uh, the co-owner and chef is Rob Reinsmith, formerly of Noble Crust. And he was nice enough to come out of the kitchen and chat with us for a bit. And part of the things that we talked about were other chefs and other restaurants. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, just wanted to throw that in there. As yeah, I mean, what you were saying. yeah, I mean, that's such a beautiful thing. Like I said, in 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 other competitive markets, you'll you'll never see that, right? I mean, you may hear someone kind of give a nod to another another restaurant or another uh, kind of area in town, but never a specific shout out to to other chefs. It just you know, it just it just typically doesn't happen. But you know, right? It's a beautiful so, thing here. So, it is. so something you told me when we chatted on the phone was that you got interested in cooking when you were six years old and your grandma was showing you how to do stuff. What's the first thing that you can remember cooking? Uh, pad thai and oh, wow. German chocolate cake. Yeah. My, my wow. grandfather was, uh, uh, was a colonel in the United States air force and he was a pilot and fought in, um, world war two Vietnam. And, um, you know, they'd obviously moved around and traveled a lot and they'd lived in Bangkok for multiple years. And I think I must have been six or seven and, and Nana um, being in the kitchen. And I just remember her being very protective and territorial of her kitchen. Uh, <laughs> but for some reason, you know, like grandmothers are. Um, but for some reason, I was allowed. Uh, I was anointed, you know, and I was allowed to help in the kitchen. And it just kind of stuck. And I remember learning how to make that pad thai. I, I still have a, a deep emotional connection to Thai food simply because of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then from a baking perspective, um, German chocolate cake. So those are two things that certainly resonate with me and, and, um, remind me of Nana. And, you know, I never really thought that it was something that I would want to do professionally, you know, for, for multiple reasons. And actually when I went to undergrad, um, you know, was kind of torn, I think like most 18 year olds are about what to major in and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of dabbled in a couple of different things and, you know, political science and psychology and things like that, but nothing ever really got me excited. I ended up uh, just needing to get out of college and, and pursued graphic design. I'd always grown up around computers and things like that and was working at this um, advertising company uh, as an art director and mainly print media and things like that. And Kevin, Lori, I was just miserable. I was so unhappy. Wow. You know, I was yeah. so incredibly unhappy because, you know, I had this really cool creative outlet, which I think most culinarians need. Um, but I didn't have the people interaction that I wanted. You know, I mean, wow. I had a whole floor kind of devoted to myself and my artists and my painters and things like that. But I just didn't have a lot of that kind of human belly to belly interaction that I that I really kind of always craved. And I must have been in my mid or late 20s and I was like, man, I'd, you know, I don't want to wake up tomorrow and be 50 and have never gone to culinary school. Like it was the one thing yeah. that kind of always stayed consistent was just that passion for for food and beverage. And I think like a lot of people, I had, I had to bartend through college to, to pay tuition and things like that. So, the, you know, the beverage side and the business acumen part, I kind of developed through that. And then- right. Where did you go to college? I'm sorry to interrupt that. But. Uh, well, undergrad was this very small local university called Troy University in my hometown. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, where I'm from is all of maybe 16,000 people. Where, where's um, Troy? It's just South of Montgomery and okay. about two and a half hours South of, of Birmingham. And so okay. I remember kind of having this epiphany and talking to Nana about, like, I just, I'm not happy. I don't want to do this. I, you know, I, I want to do something with food and beverage. And I think, you know, if I, if I look back at the timeliness of it, it was one, it was around the time the food network had really started taking off and exploding. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go to culinary school, you know, being Nana and the loving, flawless human being that she was, of course, supported me. And I think six weeks later, I, I packed my stuff and drove up from, um, from Troy to, uh, to Poughkeepsie. It was about an 18 hour drive and, uh, and started culinary school at the Culinary Institute of America. And it's the greatest thing I've ever done. Cool. And it's certainly satiated that, that scratch and that passion. And honestly, now I can't imagine working in any other industry at all. So what was your 
in culinary school, what was your favorite part and what was the most challenging part? I think my favorite part was, was learning from all of the other students there. I mean, there's, there's so much to be learned from, from your chef instructors and from your very specific classes. I think cuisines of, of Europe and the Mediterranean was probably one of my favorites. Uh, cuisines of Asia's plural was also a, a really fantastic class because there's so many different regions there and mm-hmm. different influences. Cool. Same as Italy. I mean, I could probably talk for hours on that, but you know, I think <laughs> the biggest part is the coolest part about being at the Culinary Institute of America is that everybody's there for the same reason. Everybody's there because they love food and beverage or they love baking and pastry. And I think when food and beverage is the common denominator, it just leads to beautiful things, right? I mean, it's part of the reason why I love restaurants so much. I mean, restaurants are meant to be places for people to interact and engage and enjoy each other's company. And so, I, yeah, I think the short version is, is just being around the other students and learning from their backgrounds and understanding their belief systems. And how did your grandmother cook this versus how did my grandmother cook this? Or, you know, dishes that you would never even typically hear of, you know, based on where you grew up. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. You're definitely a people person. I'm afraid I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid I am. But, you know, but that's what makes this, in, this, this industry so great, right? I mean, people are amazing. And I think, if anything, I hope that, that as difficult as 2020 was, I hope that we all kind of remember that we're all about, we're, we're a social species, right? And I think that, you know, going through the quarantine in Manhattan, I, mean, I didn't leave my apartment for like eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Wow. I had food delivered. I mean, I, I didn't leave him as terrified. But I think what you start missing more than anything is the social, you know, human to human interaction. And I remember having a conversation with my boss at the time and we were kind of talking about, you know, what's the future of food kind of on the other side of this. And for me, it was like, I, I think it's back to the basics, right? I think that once people can go back out and, and be at a restaurant, they just want to sit at a bar and have a pint of beer with their buddies, right? They don't want food that's super complicated or that they can't even pronounce or all this like, you know, fussy kind of approaches. And look, there's a time and a place for that, certainly. Um, but I think now it's just all back to that kind of like, you know, comfort food, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that human element of it. I think it's a really beautiful thing. Yep. It is. Jacob, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in two minutes. Keep on moving. One of our favorite places to go eat in St. Pete is Engine Number no. 9. They've been a staple in downtown St. Pete coming up on seven years, and they are famous for their unique and tasty burger creations. As a matter of fact, they are on the St. Pete Foodies list of best burgers in St. Pete. They also made the best hot dogs list, the best chilies, and the best wings in St. Pete. Aside from the food, Engine Number no. 9 is a great sports bar with lots of TVs, beer, and wine. And you can even get a regular old cheeseburger, too, so you can bring your non-adventurous eater friends. Check out Engine Number no. 9 at the corner of MLK and 1st Avenue North in downtown St. Pete. Their burgers can't be beat. Engine, engine can you get me back on time? Ramen is the ultimate comfort food and Booyah Ramen on the 900 block of Central Avenue is my go-to. It's so freaking good. The broth is like a silky blanket to warm up your mouth, and the hearty proteins, or just mushrooms for vegetarians, it'll have you saying, ooh, mommy, the umami is making my eyes roll back in my head. My favorites are the pork belly and the short rib. Mmm. And then there's the noodles. O-M-G. Go get the best ramen in St. Pete at Booyah Ramen at 911 Central Avenue in the Edge District of downtown St. Pete. Do ya, Booyah? We are back! We are back! We are back with the new co-owner of Anata Restaurant and Wine Bar and Altamari Fish Bar, Jacob Lindsay, and we kind of cut you off for the break there for the second half of the question, uh, which was, so what was the most challenging part of culinary school? Um, I think two parts, you know, the first part I say jokingly is, is I was an AM student, which meant that you had to be at class at 7am and I'm not a morning person. So that was not, that was not an easy adjustment at all. I think that's why I probably started bartending. So I could be a night owl and uh, <laughs> have a very sociable life. 
Um, but I think I think one of the more challenging parts, specifically about the CIA, is is the the academic tempo. So you have classes, you have one class for three weeks, and you have that one class. You know, it's 15, 14 classes, eight hours a day. So roughly every seven days, you're taking either a midterm or a final exam. Mm. Um, wow. And and it's it's just it's a lot. It's a progressive learning system. So if you stumble on a um, on a class prior to that, you're going to have a tough time in the following class. And and fortunately, I did I did very well, and I I, I you know made good grades and everything. But you know, you would see students kind of just really get sucked into this tempo. And it's hard to keep up with. It's, it's a very, mm-hmm. very difficult thing to keep up with. And, you know, the chef instructors there are some of the best teachers in, in, the, in the country, if not the world, and they have very high expectations. And so right. keeping up with that tempo, um, having to wake up at 6 a.m. every morning, <laughs> uh, th- those were certainly uh, difficult things for me. But, but it certainly, um, you know, gave me a lot to, to grow from and a lot to learn from and, and certainly helped me be very successful in my career. Right. Yeah, we can we can relate to that. A few years ago, right around the same time we started uh, St. Pete Foodies, we were doing an online certification course for a different business, not related to food at all. And it was similar with the tempo, like, you know, they kind of sold it as like, yeah, you know, we know you have your regular full time job, but you can do this on the side to take this certification. Uh, was how it was presented. And the thing is, I was lucky that I didn't have a full-time job. I just have, I'm self-employed and make my own hours. And, and, and it was, it took over my full-time life for like several months. And I was like, I don't know how I can barely keep up with this with not having a job. I don't know how people that have a job do it. Um, (laughs) so I, I get that. And then, and now more recently, uh, about middle of 2020, I decided to sign up for uh, Ruby.com. It's R-O-U-X-B-E.com mm-hmm. for uh, online culinary courses. And now they have different versions. They have one where you just log in whenever you want and do whatever you want, whenever you want at your own pace. And then they have the certification one, which is also like what you just described and I described with this other certification thing. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> but yep. yeah, I understand that the, the pace Oh, so we should also uh, not forget uh, Ashley Castillo, who is a co-owner with you, yes? Yeah, so Ashley and I met. Um, so we had worked both in Orlando around the same time frame, but had never had never interacted with each other. But it was one of those situations where everybody that we worked with and worked for knew both of us, but somehow we didn't, we didn't know one another. Um, Ashley's huge into the beverage world. Um, Spirits is her passion. Uh, wine was always my passion. And then around 2000, and either Q4 of 14 or Q1 of 15, uh, we both ended up working at the Gaylord Texan, which is a 1800 room convention hotel just outside of Dallas, Texas. Um, and we worked for a good friend of ours there, Mark Beaupre, who was kind of a legend in the Marriott food and beverage world. And he retired after about 25 years. And, you know, I got there. Think October, yeah, October fourteen, and Ashley was there interviewing for a position a couple of months later, and Mark was like, "Hey, you're finally going to get to meet Ashley." And I was like, "Great!" Uh, so I went, and picked her up, showed her around Dallas and everything, and we just really hit it off and saw, you know, eye to eye on our our philosophies of food and beverage and service, and um, worked together for two years. I left the Texan the following summer and worked on a project for Marriott International called the Hotel of the Future where they basically bought a hotel in Charlotte and completely gutted it. Full new rooms renovation, total new F&B and, and all of that jazz. And, you know, she and I stayed in touch at that time. I subsequently ended up moving to the Middle East. Um, and I think about two or three months after I'd moved to, to Doha, Ashley received the Sabre Award, which is um, the Global Professional of the Year Award from Marriott International. So it's a giant, giant um, accomplishment there on her behalf. And then I think wow. like two or three weeks after that, she, she gave notice and said, thanks guys. Um, I'm going to go travel Asia now. And she, she cool. ended up leaving and, um, traveled Asia. She was based out of Vietnam. Um, she probably hit nine or 10 different countries over the course of a year. Wow. Um, just kind of bouncing around and learning different, um, cooking techniques and learning more about the local beverages and the local spirits and just overall kind of like, you know, rounding out her arsenal of that worldly knowledge. And, um, we had stayed in touch the whole time and constantly back and forth. Hey, I'm thinking about doing my own thing. I'm thinking about doing my own thing. And, you know, we would brainstorm and 
fast forward a little bit, we both ended up in, in New York City, but with different companies. Just again, coincidentally, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was like, hey, I'm in, the, I'm in Manhattan. She's like, well, I'm in Manhattan. And we were, you know, <laughs> she lived like three blocks, if not, no, maybe not even three blocks, more like three minutes from one of my restaurants down in the West Village. <laughs> and she, you know, again, had to go through the, the endurance challenge of, of surviving Manhattan during the during the pandemic. She moved, um, I think she left the city in March and I left in July. And again, we had stayed in touch and I remember reaching out to her and I was like, it's time. I was like, now it's time. So, um, fast forward, here we are. I have, I have just one question from that story. Why were you Mm -hmm. in the middle East? Uh, work. Yeah. I I think that, yeah, when I, still with Marriott, yeah, exactly. Okay. So okay. when I finished, so I graduated culinary school, went and took a, a line cook position at this yacht club in Martha's Vineyard um, just for the summer. And I'd been uh, invited back to the CIA to take on uh, their brand new MIT program where basically you're a full-time faculty member. Um, okay. And it's a year-long program. And I taught um, advanced table service while simultaneously working as a sous chef at a polo club about an hour away. So I was doing like 90 plus hour weeks. Um, and, uh, I had one Monday off a month. And so after about a year, I was, <laughs> I was pretty run down. Um, but, uh, and I forget where I was going with that, but there was a reason that I was telling you that. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Sorry. That, either, but <laughs> that was the, um, the espresso kicked in and kind of took its own direction. Sorry. So you said you were teaching advanced table service. What are some of the things that that involves? Well, I think a lot of it will come down to body language and, mm. you know, kind of your overall technical acumen. There's a lot of, a lot of things that as a consumer, you'll, you'll feel you don't really know that it's happening, if that makes sense. And, you know, in mm-hmm. the in the restaurant world, we'll call these things subliminal detractors where, mm-hmm. you know, where you'll have consumers that that will leave a restaurant or it could be any business for that matter. And, you know, true to human nature, your friends are going to ask you how it was. And have you ever gone to a place and you leave there and people are like, you know, what would you think? And you're like, I didn't like it, but I don't really know why. Right. I can't right. really put my finger on it. That is basically just this like attack of all these little subliminal detractors. Lighting is a big one. Um, audio is a big one. But yes. kind of body language and feeling other people around you is also one of those things as well. So in the advanced table service, we talk a lot about body language, where you stand. Um, and it's pretty fundamental stuff, really. But but also kind of the psychology of the consumer and how to you know really, really engage with guests. And then the technical acumen you know, make sure your table maintenance is, is, is like it's supposed to be. There's, there's nothing worse than dirty dishes lingering on a table or half empty water mm-hmm. glasses or, you know, some of the basic stuff like that. But, you know, and then you get into conversations about sales techniques and, and things like that. So mm-hmm. cool. definitely, definitely fun stuff for, for us restaurant nerds. Cool. Yeah. Upsell the dessert. Very fascinating. Yeah. yeah we actually did a segment when we were talking about uh, negative reviews and mm-hmm. typically when you see a negative review, it almost, almost always has to do with service and not the food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a, you know, this is a human to human experience, right? right. And so generally um, that that's where you're going to see the biggest issues. Right. So, Interesting. so serve from the left, take from the right, correct? Well, I, I think one of the things that, that we would always teach was there's, there's rules, but you don't always have to, to play by those rules. It's, you know, right. typically from the right with the right or from the left with the left, you know, the last thing that you want to do is, is backhand somebody. And what that means is serving from <laughs> the right with the left hand, where you're kind of showing them the back of your hand. I mean, again, that's one of those subliminal things that, right. that feels aggressive, but it isn't, it isn't meant to be versus right. serving from the left with the left where it's more of a hug. Um, yeah. than a backhand, right? So it's totally two completely different things. Yeah. 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 So how about when somebody has to leave, has to excuse themselves from the table, where's the napkin go? Well, before, you know, you would just take the napkin and refold it and place it back. Now, uh, what I prefer is to replace the napkin in, entirely. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, because a lot of people would just throw it in their seat. Um, right. and I think that's, I think that's gross. So I'll just yeah. typically train my guys to replace it entirely. Um, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like when you have fresh sheets on your bed, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you need fresh stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's the, the best solution I've, I've heard 
because we've talked about this before because I like, I had a, a, a book I have where they're telling you, you know, uh, manners and things like that. Mm-hmm. They say, you know, once you take your, you sit down and you take the napkin off the table and put it on your lap, it should never go back on the table again. And mm-hmm. they tell you to put it on your seat. And that's what, what most people do. And I was talking to another restaurateur and I said that, and she said, your butt was just there for a whole bunch of time. And now, <laughs> is that really where you want your napkin to go? I think so, it's yeah. a fair comment. Absolutely. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and the other thing, which I think is, is probably, um, just as gross especially now because we've all become germaphobes is when guests will drape it over kind of the back of the chair. And typically the back of the chair is one of the highest touch points um, other than if there are arms on a chair, but typically the back of the chair where everyone's going to grab it to either pull it out or scoot it in Mm -hmm. um, that that's everybody's touched that. Right. And that's one of the things that's been there. Oh, of course. Right. And so, you know, we've certainly talked about, you know, with, with COVID and this was even, when I was still in New York and talking about high touch points of tables and chairs. And if we're going to sanitize, you've got to wipe everything, right? I mean, you have right. to be, you've got to wipe and then rewipe and then tell it that you wiped it and tell it you're going to wipe it again um, <laughs> in order to kind of get it right. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for just replace the napkin entirely. Yeah. I like that. I have a, a question and this goes to New York kind of a little bit. Where are you on silverware once it's been used? I replace it. Yeah, I, I mean, the, all the all the education and schooling that I was given was based around classic French cuisine, kind of in a higher end environment. Um, and my hotel career, I started with with the Ritz Carlton brand and worked with five different you know Ritz Carlton properties. So I'm all about clean and fresh and sexy and new. So right. if it's been used, you know, I always take the approach when we're training service staff. It's the three R's: it's refill, remove, replace. There's right. always something at a table that can be refilled, removed, or replaced. And if it's you know used flatware, get rid of it and bring the guests something new and shiny. Interestingly enough, we were in New York. I think it was 2017, and we went to Gramercy Tavern. And they replaced our silverware at between all of it, even whether we used it or not, between every single um, course we had. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, it I could was be fascinated that, by that. I was like, "What? I didn't use that. Why? Why waste it?" Yeah. Well, it, it, well, sure. It could be that the next course required a specific set of utensils versus the prior course. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll see some of these tables that are set up with kind of all of your, you know, flatware kind of thrown out all at once. It's more of a banquet setting style. And, you know, the rule of thumb is you kind of work from the outside in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think most of our restaurants th- that I've ever been involved with, um, you know, we tend to kind of lay in flatware per course and then remove as, as it's used or either as not used for that matter um, to lay in the, the appropriate you know, silverware for the following course. So, you know, we're not there yet at, at Anata. That's typically a more of a, um, you know, kind of an upscale, upscale service move. Right, um, right, right, right. You know, for Anata and, and Altomare, you know, it's, it's, it's a little more on the casual side. Um, but, you know, these are, these are little things that, that I do mm-hmm. think impact the consumer and, uh, you know, things that we're looking at and trying to evaluate. You know, the last thing that we wanted to do, kind of going back to what Kevin led in with was, you know, we didn't want to be these new owner operators that came in and changed everything and was like, we're from New York and we know better than everybody. And, and it's certainly <laughs> not that at, at all. I mean, you know, I feel like, you know, between Ashley and I both, we've had a, a great breadth and width of experience. And one thing that all of that has, has taught us is seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. Right. So right. come in and really talk to guests. And I tell you, that's the other thing too. And this is not to bash uh, Manhattan at all, but the people here are so incredibly friendly and so <laughs> incredibly nice. Um, that's probably been the most refreshing thing because, you know, I mean, there's always going to be some anxiety associated with, with finally going out and doing, doing your own thing and something you've been talking right. about for, for so long, you know, I mean, there's certainly going to be some nerves associated with that, but, you know, again, back to the, the chefs supporting one another, I think the, the community and their support for, for Ashley and I both has been really wonderful. And, you know, we, we obviously partnered with some local investors who are absolutely fantastic as well and have been great business partners, um, and supportive of, you know, of, of what we want to do. So all in all, it's been a really, really wonderful experience here. And, um, I think, we got really, really lucky, not just with, with the location, obviously in restaurants, location is, is, is everything, but every now and then you'll get the unicorn that, you know, people will, will drive a, a long way to, to see. And, 
you know, that's kind of ties into the story of the Michelin guide and Michelin stars. And people are like, wasn't that a tire company? Well, well, yeah, but they wrote the whole Michelin guide, you know, for people that are traveling so that they could find restaurants while they're traveling, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's how, yeah. Well, look there, Lori, now I got you. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, that, and and if, even if you look at their rankings, right? So it's either three, two or one stars, you know, for three stars, they specifically say worth the drive, Ah. right? So, Mm. you know, drive out of your way to, to experience that. So, cool. yeah, but you know, obviously so location, but, but more than anything, we were so fortunate to inherit the, the team that we have there. These, these ladies and gentlemen are so dialed in and so passionate about what they do. It's, it's so, it's so remarkable, you know, and then in addition to that, back to chef Joshua, the quality and caliber of food that, that he and his team have been able to execute with the square footage or the lack thereof square footage for kitchen space is, is probably one of the more impressive things that I've seen, uh, in my restaurant career. Most, Most people, people don't, don't know, know about that, that yeah. it's like, it's like a little closet. If that, I mean, if that, you know, and so one of my things is, is more than anything, I would really like to get chef and his team, a, a you know, a proper kitchen to see what we can execute from there. I mean, I think yeah. this guy's the limit. He's definitely demonstrated his ability to figure it out. You know, that's another thing that really gets hammered into your head at culinary school is chefs figure it out. Bottom line. Mm-hmm. Figure it out, no matter what the variables are, figure it out. And, right. um, and Chef Joshua has certainly, certainly done a great job of, of working with, with what he's been given and, and figuring out how to excellent, execute excellent food. So you actually uh, pre-answered what one, what my next question was going to be, which is like, what are some of your, I mean, you, you did make it clear that immediately no changes don't come in and, you know, you want to understand before you're right. understood. But so getting beyond that, what can you tell us what you're thinking on some near future plans and then far future plans? Yeah, I think, I think in the near future is, is really just figuring out how can we make this kitchen better for chef? I mean, mm-hmm. plain and simple. I mean, again, I, I come from I come from a kitchen background and a kitchen mindset. Everything starts there, right? Every single thing starts there. So we'll figure out kind of what we can do. You know, you're always going to have challenges with HVAC and ventilation and the hooding and all that stuff. And, you know, when you get into renovating or, or building new, you know, black iron is expensive if you're going to run gas. So, you know, it's really just the kitchen pieces first, right? And mm-hmm. the sooner that I can solve for that for Chef, I think he would be a very, very happy Boston kid if I could, <laughs> if we could set him up with a proper kitchen. So these are some of the conversations that we're having right now. We've started taking reservations uh, through our website. Yay. You can use Open Table um, through the website for both Anata and Altamari. And I think, you know, when we first, I think probably our first three days in the restaurant, we were kind of meeting the team and and fist bumping and getting to know everybody. I must have heard the hostess or one of the managers probably answer the phone at least a dozen times a day. Uh, sorry, we don't take reservations. Nope. Right. Sorry, we don't mm-hmm. take reservations. And just from a consumer, I know how frustrating that is. Right. Um, and so one of our immediate decisions right away, and it's, it's very un- uncommon for us to to kind of make changes that early into a into a new project. But it just it just made so much sense. Um, but we started taking reservations on the Open Table platform about a month ago. Yeah. Awesome. And I that, think it's a great change. It's a great change and it's a lot quicker and easier to do than a new kitchen. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And especially during these times, it's a great change. You don't want people waiting around and pooling around in the front. So Exactly right. Yep. Yep. And and really to your long-term question, Kevin, I, I don't have an answer yet because I think that this is a, you know, A comes before B and B comes before C. And the minute that you try to go straight to R or L, you, you've kind of skipped some you know, you've skipped quite a bit and you end up in a, in a very tricky spot. So I think, you know, the, the only answer that I can give is, is really sorting out the kitchen challenges first um, and then, and then seeing what that presents and then going from there. Mm-hmm. Understood. Totally. I mean, I'm older than you are back when I went to uh, college for business. One of the things they taught, and this is in the eighties, one of the things they taught was the five-year plan. And these days I think that doesn't even make any sense. It's like maybe a one year plan. I mean, with not, not just with COVID, but I mean, with, with technology and social media and the way things move so fast and things uh, that didn't exist 
you know, just a little while ago, you couldn't even dream of now existence. I've a five-year plan, forget it, maybe one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, certainly, I mean, our, our attention span as, as humans has gotten much, much shorter than it, than it once was. Right. And typically like, you know, so you generally you'll get about a five to seven year life cycle out of a restaurant before, before you want to start talking about some type of, of quote unquote, you know, updates or upgrades or, or changes within a dining room. Because again, our attention span is incredibly short. I think one of the, one of the best points to illustrate that is if you, any movie that you watch, there will not be a still shot or a solid frame shot longer than seven seconds, Hmm. because that's just, that's just kind of how our brains get. Once you see the same still shot for seven seconds, you don't realize that you're starting to get bored, but you're getting bored and you start to lose interest. And a lot of, yeah, a lot of, you know, film guys have, have, you know, done all the data and, and research on, on our attention span right now. It's the same thing. So if you have a server comes to your table and starts rattling off the specials for the night after about seven or eight seconds, you're not listening uh-huh. anymore because it's just a lot of words. You're already starting to think about something else. Um, so, you know, uh, again, that fi- back to your point about the five year plan, I think it's just incredibly difficult to, to do that. Now everything's moving so fast and, and the world's changing so rapidly you know, it's really kind of hard to forecast that. I think that, you know, one of the fortunate parts about going from, you know, an operation that has, you know, 10 or 12 restaurants and is doing 100, 105 million in total revenue is with these smaller restaurants, you, it's more like a jet ski. You know, you can pivot whenever you need to and you can kind of bob and weave however you need to versus some of those bigger operations. It's, you know, it's more like driving an oil tanker where the minute you say we're turning left, it's going to take a little while. Uh, for everything to kind of happen. So um, right now we're just, we're just really kind of taking it day by day and and doing our best, listen to the team and, and listen to guests about what, you know, obviously everybody has an opinion about what we should do, but, you know, I think we've got a really, really special thing down there uh, and we're, we're really proud of it. And the, the community seems certainly proud of it. So we just want to be really, really careful and sensitive to that. Um, cause again, we don't want to be the, the ones who came in and, and kind of screwed up this little, little institution down there. Yeah. On right. So you guys have two great restaurants that, uh, looks like if somebody asked, how do we take these two great restaurants and make them even better? Well, Jacob and Ashley are going to answer that. They're gonna show, <laughs> you're going to, I think we, you're going to show us and we're excited for you guys. And so both restaurants are, th- they're next door to each other. They're at 300 beach drive, but that address is the entire block. It's the Park Shore Plaza. Right. So like, there's Park Shore Grill is on the opposite side of the block. So it's uh, you guys, Anata and Altamari are on the north side next to the like the cobblestone alleyway right, right there. So, exactly right. Right. And the websites yeah. are anatawine.com. That's two N's, one T. People mess that up sometimes. A-N-N-A-T-A, wine.com. And Altomari, A-L-T-O-M-A-R-E, fishbar.com. Jacob Lindsay, thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Jacob. Thank you, guys. We will be right back. As a St. Pete Foodies listener, you should also check out the Zest podcast from WUSF Public Media. You know, the Tampa NPR folks. Every Thursday, host Dahlia Cologne shares everything from food history to the best restaurants you haven't tried. There's recipes you'll want to try and a different slice of our state's foodie scene. The key lime actually is native to Southeast Asia. The English sailors were called limeys when they found out that they put it in their barrels of water to get rid of that brackish, well-watered taste. They uh, didn't get scurvy anymore, so they wanted them in all their ports in the tropics, so they took the seeds and planted them. So that's how we ended up with key limes down here. We invite you to listen to The Zest on your favorite podcast app or at thezestpodcast.com. Tell Tell them St. Pete Foodie sent you. So, New Year, new resolutions. Nope, not really. I think New Year's resolutions are dumb. What I don't think is dumb is having one of the awesome salads or wraps from Greenstock for lunch. Right. This segment is sponsored by Greenstock, and we love that. We had David Benstock on last week, and if you missed that, you really need to go back and listen to it. We had a lot of fun. It was a great interview. So Greenstock, in case you don't know, in case you're the first time you're listening to this podcast, 
It's a chef-driven and ingredient-focused salad and wraps, fast casual eatery right in the heart of downtown St. Pete. Everything is fresh. Nothing comes out of a can. That's rule number one. Right. And not even the tuna fish. Nope. You can see all the ingredients right in the case, the fresh, like fresh ears of corn. So they're, they're shucking fresh ears of corn, plump red Roma tomatoes, and green sock is what's for lunch today. It was delicious too. I had a you inspired little salad. Which you usually do that. Yes, I do. It's mainly because I'm just trying to watch what I eat. But they call those the little green. And I actually usually get two meals out of it, even though it's the little green. Right. Um, I had romaine and spinach, as usual. Um, Cucumbers, tomatoes, snap peas this time. Pickled red onions, beets, and peppers. And then I added crispy wasabi peas as my finish. That's not an addition. That's included. Mm-hmm. And then I did add tuna, which we know is our favorite. We love that tuna. We add tuna every time. And we learned that the, one of the reasons it's so good is they poach it. Mm, right. So, so good. Or confit it, not they poach com- it. They confit it. Confit it. Mm-hmm. Correct. And then I did not, I just used um, an olive oil and red wine vinegar for my dressing. It was great. Right. I went with the BLAT, B-L-A-T, stands for Bacon, Lettuce, Avocado, Tomato. And I did it as a wrap again. This is my second time in a row because the wraps are f- Oops, I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> the wraps are so good. Yeah, this, and I, I tasted it myself and I was very impressed with the wrap. Mm-hmm. It was delicious. This one has romaine, spinach, arugula, bacon, avocado, tomatoes, pickled red onion, croutons, ranch dressing, and I added the tuna, as I said. And the secret behind the tuna is it's fresh tuna. And they include Dijon mustard, mayo, pickles, parsley, and it's sushi-grade tuna, by the way. They confit, as Lori said, and there's some lemon in there as well. And it's super good. It is so so good. Also now, they have uh, combined with their butcher shop business, St. Pete Meat and Provisions, they have the highest quality steaks, chicken, pork, farm fresh eggs. As David said last week on the podcast, it's restaurant quality meats and, and provisions. And you can buy those right at the same location as Greenstock on the 400 block, a couple doors down from El Retorno. Check out Greenstock and St. Pete Meat and Provisions right in downtown St. Pete. Their hours are Monday through Saturday, 10.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. And you can order on their websites, which are eatatgreenstock.com and stpetemeat.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. This is Chris Walker, and you're listening to St. Foodies Podcast. New on the website is a review of Salty's Sandwich Bar that's in Gulfport. You'll find that on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Next week on the show, we'll be talking to Rob Bowen and Jason Tebout. They are the owners of the new restaurant in downtown St. Pete, Social Roost. If you'd like to send us fan mail, hate mail, or if you have any requests for interviews or restaurant reviews, just send an email to info at stpetersburgfoodies.com. That's it for this episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest, Jacob Lindsay. Thanks to Greenstock for lunch. And thanks to our sponsors. Roland Oats. The Zest Podcast. Noble Crust. Booyah Ramen. And, and Engine, Engine Number, number nine. 9. Our announcer is Candice Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News. And our theme music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Please give us a rating and review on whichever app you're using to listen to the show. And remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold.